Here we are in uh, beautiful, I think it's referred to as God's country, is it not? Beautiful Western Canada. This week's Rinky Dinking emanates from Calgary, Alberta. Stop two on this four game Western Canadian road trip. Calgary. I am proud Western Canadian Daryl Razor Ray. Uh, clean, crisp Canadian air in my lungs. With me, the wardrobe updated master of autumnal tones. And uh, the king of inquiring without asking an actual question, the great Mike Heike. And full of Canadian Rocky oxygen, the still high from the striking vistas of Banff, Canada, Jeff Totes. We finally got things working. We are vaping in the room here as we do this. Uh, Isn't that a wonderful touch, though, that they have here in Calgary where they stick a humidifier... And not not a tabletop humidifier. No, no. Like this is industrial strength humidifying. Hydrate, Daryl. Right hydrate. It is. <laughs> now we had this little quick conversation before we came on. Sometimes I like to dry out the nasal cavity and be able to discard some of the boulders that form, and I feel like I have more of a clean shot between the air and where it needs to go within my body. Whereas you enjoy a little moistness. Is that true? Yeah, I like that word, moistness. Uh, yes, I do, actually. I, I, uh, the moistness uh, comes in. Like when you're up here, we got off the plane the other day, and it wasn't the cold so much as how dry it was. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it like you, you call it Botox. Because I mean, Botox, you, man. Just <laughs> you feel it and you tighten a, up. Takes a few of those wrinkles <laughs> off your forehead when you step <laughs> off that bus. Uh, but it is dry. Yes. yes. And it's noticeable. Like as uh, you work out here or do anything, uh, you need to hydrate. And uh, Totes will get more into that as we move along. But it did. When I walked into the room to do this, it looked like they were vaping in here. <laughs> Big clouds of that. Uh, you two wouldn't have the Canadiana DNA to fully appreciate this. Uh, but speaking of stepping off the bus and traveling out here, I finally uh, watched the Tragically Hip documentary, Long Time Running. And it came out a while ago. Uh, I just didn't have the guts to watch it. It chronicles their final coast-to-coast tour, uh, starting in Victoria, I think the first show was, and ending up in their hometown in Kingston. Uh, As lead singer Gordon Downey uh, faced terminal brain cancer. And I honestly believe that this is one of those things that uh, you have to be, I think you have to be Canadian to fully grasp it and have it hit you. Uh, as hard as it did, but it perfectly fit fit into the flight window from Winnipeg to Calgary. I put it on, sun was setting, we're up on the, you know, 40,000 feet in the air, just cruising along, and it seemed like it was a very appropriate time to watch this thing and it was extremely emotional to watch it it's interesting being an american who travels up here is how little the hip is known down in the states Mm -hmm. and how big it is up here we've talked about it before i mean they're an arena band in canada and you can go down to trees in dallas or uh you know they they play clubs right and it's passionate it's a bunch of expats in there most of the time but uh, they are they're the most important Canadian band in the last 30 plus years. Yeah. Like 
you know, you can talk about uh, the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive or Rush <laughs> or any. I mean, some people are going to say Rush, but. It's different. It's just the, again, it's how they touch the hearts of Canadians. Like Rush went a little more global and obviously right. inroads into the States. Whereas the the hip, if you're Canadian, the hip, they are us. Like right. they are the soundtrack of, and probably two generations of Canadians, uh, barbecues and weddings and, you know, playoff runs in the spring with their favorite hockey team so uh, it was I mean you're getting robbed of this guy who was brilliant yeah. and a huge hockey fan Gord Downey uh, and the band good friends with my buddy Kirk Muller so it was it, it was it was awesome to watch it again probably better that I gave it a little bit of time and then watched it but um, man it's sad that he's not going to make another song i just love their stuff it's interesting as you do all this stuff and you decide on who you know how things go and everything like that and and you know what your life is and yada 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 for him obviously it's sad that he had such a short life but the fact that he impacted that many people Mm. like i i was up here watching the prime minister of canada went to the final show yeah I mean, it's just like, and, and watching the people who are giving him sincere love and feeling every pain that he's feeling because he gave them so much of his heart. Mm. I mean, it really is, it's it's amazing to watch it up here and see people and how they react to the band and, and to him. It, it, it would be interesting, Totes has something to say, but it would be interesting to see how that documentary would resonate with people that, because it still is, a, a very impactful human interest story. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had major part of his brain removed before they went on tour. They had to have a tele, two multiple teleprompters up front for him to remember the songs that he wrote and then perform them. And, you know, had gone through chemo and everything else and then put all of that out there. Like, it, was, it was impressive. He was, he was a great man. One small note of irony with this documentary. I was planning to watch it last night to contribute to this discussion. Not available on Netflix Canada. Only Netflix US right now. You have to buy it in Canada? Yeah. Can't watch it here. Wow. You could have borrowed my iPad. It's (laughs) downloaded on it. I I appreciate the effort you put in, though. Way to go. Then did you go straight to bed after that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Switching gears. The the big this has been a fairly newsy week around our oh, Dallas yeah. Stars again. Uh, Sergey Zubov's number retirement announcement w- was one of the major announcements. Yeah. There was another one after the game in Winnipeg, but uh, number fifty six, very worthy and deserving. Obviously, I know you've done a ton of work already on this. Nobody wore it prior. Nobody's ever going to wear it again. I like that. So do I. So I, I. I think it's neat. I, I mean, mean, nobody was ever going to wear it again anyway. Well, whether you put it up in the rafters or not. What's interesting is that they make decisions on these things, and people have worn twenty, and people have worn twenty-five, and people have worn sixteen, and those guys weren't iconic franchise things. But that you could have waited to give that to a rookie coming that in. Is for- a fascinating little inroad into the the machine that goes on in behind. I not just with the stars, but. Any organization, all of a sudden you're like, really? They're handing out 21 again? Yeah. There or whatever number it is. I mean, if you go through the list, obviously Joe was here for a little while and and he was pretty strong. Uh, Ed Belfour, like, 
one, he wore the number for Tretiak, and two, I think he he made a real impact in the uh, organization with it. And so I would have been a little hesitant to just hand yeah, it to the next I mean, guy. Yeah, it's all of this is debatable. If not for Nick Lidstrom, Zuby would have multiple Norris trophies yeah. as the best defenseman in the league. Uh, there's no question about that. But it does, you know, Detroit's a good example. Mm-hmm. Like of all the you know standards of play individuals that came through there during their second or is it their third heyday right. that you would call the 90s and that uh, there's only two of them that have been retired right um i'd have to look at it and is it just Lindsay and how no 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 i'm talking from the 90s Oh, from, from the nine, yeah. You know, from multiple Stanley Cups yes. and what have you. Yeah. There's Nick Lidstrom and there's Steve Eiserman. And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, you look at what Fedorov did and you look at what uh, I think Larry they only Hunt. have like seven or something, yeah. isn't there? They're very cautious with As what opposed they do. to some other uh like uh Montreal Montreal has so many great players, yeah. they had to retire the number for multiple players. Right. Like I think they have two or maybe three yeah, I think Toronto's done of that their too. numbers that that are multiple players wore it and it's retired. And both of them were deserving of having their number retired, which is striking. So I, I put down three things that I believe in myself. One is, uh, you, you need to be drafted by and have a distinguished career within that organization and your entire career with the organization would be even better. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to fulfill all of these. Right. Just you got to hit one of these right. for me. A decade in the uniform and then obviously success individually and uh, collectively. Right. And then the third one would be a Hall of Famer, yeah. a Hockey Hall of Famer. You get inducted into the Hall of Fame. So if you, if you don't fit into one of those three categories for me, I don't know. Yeah. I think they've done a good job. The stars have. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, part of the the history of the organization is is what came from Minnesota, and, and those were a couple of tragic uh, number retirements. Um, but I, I really do like the fact that Madano, Letnin, and Zuboff are up there because that was a great era. Like just writing it now. I mean, Zuboff was here for twelve years. They went to the playoffs ten of them. The last year really doesn't even count. So they went you know ten out of eleven. Won seven division championships. Went to the conference finals four times and won a Stanley Cup. I mean, that was a really nice run. Yeah, and again, he would have had individual uh, awards and hardware if not for the other guy. Right. Well, and there are a couple other ones in there yeah, too. Yeah, but it was but mainly, it was the, mainly other the other for guy. me. Yeah. A couple of those years anyway. Yeah. Uh, others to come? Not really, right? I don't think so. No. Like, I, I agree with some of your debate on the others from the late 90s, but... I, I like it to be very exclusive. Yes. But that's just me. I, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think it should be a marketing campaign ever right. to do that. And it should always be uh, strictly individuals that no nobody has an issue with. It. You can't have any number go up where some are like, really? Yeah. Even if it's just a muttering of, really? It, it should just be what took so long. Right. And that seems to be the same thing with with Sergey. The the one other thing I'll say is I I don't understand why number 99 isn't hanging in every arena. American Airlines Center. It's a good question. On, I'm I'm not being facetious. No, no, I know. Like why is it 
in baseball, is Jackie Robinson's number up and like at every ballpark? I, I believe think? so. I is think it, it is. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean the, the league gets retired. The, the number. league retired number ninety nine. Right. Like it's retired. Right. So why why is it not hung there? There's no team in Dallas without Wayne Gretzky, I believe. You could you could make that argument. I I, I love those arguments. Well, there's I, a reason why he his numbers retired league wide, and it's not all the records that he got. No, no, I agree with it's all. It's the that. impact he had on everything else too, and it's not. It was it wasn't just. Because he went and played in Los Angeles, so he played in a Sunbelt right. city, and they had some success. Like, I traveled down. We, we played at the Summit in Houston, and we played at Reunion Arena when I was with Edmonton in preseason games. And it was like a barnstorming tour of Wayne Gretzky. It wasn't the Edmonton Oilers. Right. It was Wayne Gretzky, and he got trotted out in all these locales that either now have teams or could have a team uh, and there the, the, I the, the appetite and the belief I think it all started with with Wayne in a locale like yeah. Dallas and I think it should just be mandatory that every rink in the league has 99 up in the rafters I agree with that now on the other concept I think he accelerated it I just think money would have pushed the league to the south sooner or later now it would have taken some time yeah. but money's the big the big push of, I mean, that's why they're considering Europe or wherever else they want to go. Yeah, but I mean, second team in Southern California. Oh would, no, he, would there be two teams in Southern California if he had never went and played for the LA Kings? No, and I think you're right. I, I had to go would down there be to the a team in Vegas to the San Antonio, and where they had that preseason game in yeah. the football stadium yeah. with gray ice because they didn't know you. They just thought ice was white, <laughs> so they didn't paint it. They just froze the ice and thought, well, it'll be white, right? <laughs> Well, speaking of numbers, uh, number 91 and number 14 are in the crosshairs again, aren't they? <laughs> it's a tough life for those two. <laughs> so publicly, because you know it's happened privately yep. uh, many times. It's just the nature of a hockey team. So it was at last December when Jim Lights uh, went on his diatribe and then Sunday after the Stars' overtime loss in Winnipeg, Jim Montgomery named names. Yeah. Uh, the message is the same or has been the same. We need more impact, i.e. goals, right. from you two guys. So <laughs> were you, where are you at on this? Uh, it's, a, it's a really good question because if they score – this is a much better team. You know, if they score at, at even, you know, last year's uh, totals, this is a much better team because guys like Rope Hint and Jason Dickinson and Miro Haskinen are better than they were last year, Dennis Kirianov. So you, if you mix that improvement with, you know, the top score still being pretty good, then this really becomes a, a very good team. So in that regard, you definitely want that. The other thing that comes into this is the money. I, I try to avoid it as much as I can. So do I, but... The, the biggest issue I have with the money is they didn't demand it or anything like that. I mean, they negotiated at the time that they were able to negotiate what actually people at the time were saying were reasonable contracts. Mm -hmm. Like nobody was sitting there going, like, oh, oh, they overpaid for that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, if you look at, so Jamie's in year three of yeah. his $76 million deal. Uh, it, it was signed after he scored 41 goals yep. and with a year remaining on his previous deal. Tyler's in the first year, 
of his $78.8 million deal. And he was paid with one year to go on his previous deal and also after scoring 40 goals. Right. So it just is automatic. You connect cash to a high number of goals being poured into the opposition's net because it's what happened at the moment. Uh, You know, maybe I've mellowed a little bit, but I much prefer the we and us approach to all this stuff than than a name nowadays. I mean, a few decades ago, I mean, it was commonplace. Oh, yeah. You just name names. Like coaches just went off. And that kind of pressure really resonated with the with the players. Right. I know as a fact. And now the it it seems most are are uh, hesitant to name anybody's name anymore. Yeah. Wherever you're at, you know they dance around it. Everyone knows who they're talking about. Uh, and that, I don't know. Maybe that's just. A mellowing of this thing, whether it works or doesn't work, is debatable. Uh, the The reason for it is always the same thing: it's frustration, right? And the the players. I mean, you watch how they put the work that they put in, and the, you 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 think that they're they're trying. Nobody's trying to suck, no, ever. Uh, and it, it's just it's frustrating. They they can't get up and running in that department again, right? Tyler last year, I think, had bad luck. And so he was getting the scoring opportunities. Yeah. They weren't going in. And then all of a sudden they started going in. And he ends up with 80 points. Now they're not getting as many scoring opportunities or they're they're not using their skills to make these scoring opportunities more dangerous. So I think that's where you start to, you know, you have the analytics of whether this is a quality scoring chance or oh not. Oh, my God. Expected goals. I know, is that you're going to talk about? I know. But I'm just saying... It does seem like there's a decline from their opportunities last year to this year. So then how do they improve that? And it's funny because you saw talk about the work. Jamie stayed in Frisco pretty much the entire summer and worked out with Jordy. And, you know, I don't know what he was doing in British Columbia whenever he was up, you know, in summers otherwise. But he worked his butt off. He really did. He was out there with a skating coach. He was out there with his brother. He was working and working and working. So I don't know how much more he could work to be prepared for this season. I, I agree. And I mean, Tyler does the same thing. I mean, yeah. he's in phenomenal shape, came into camp, got challenged by his coach to be the hardest worker day in and day out here. And you know, they start spiraling down to where, you know, he's got one goal in the last, what, 14 games yeah. now? It's just, and I'm with you, like, it doesn't even seem like he's a threat to score on on some nights. Yeah. I, I, I got thinking about this the other day that, Maybe you you have to reinvent yourself a little bit on the fly, and th- these are just you know broadcaster and writer spitballing sessions where you're like, well, m- maybe he since he's a guy who likes to shoot the puck and doesn't seem to really want to have it all all that long uh, or often, he's more given a go guy and then and then shoot, and he's not shooting, then maybe putting him on the wing and making him a winger turns him into more of a threat as a shooter, pure right. shooter. But then you're like, okay, well, who's going to play center? Well, and the <laughs> and hope, you start going well, down the this. hope is that when Rope comes back, 
he can slot in and Dickinson seems more comfortable at center than wing. So maybe you could keep Rope in, in the center spot, keep Dickinson in the yeah. center spot and, and work around it that way. Uh, it's interesting. And you and I have talked too about, you know, with Jamie, you know, just go out there and hit some people and, and get that energy into your body. But he had been doing that. I mean, heading into that game in Winnipeg, he was leading the stars in hits. Right. We had a, we have a package that we haven't been able to run yet on television that shows him, you know, but at the same time, you, it always gets dragged back to money. It's like, well, I can find a guy and pay him eight hundred and fifty grand to run around like he's got his head cut off. Right. You know that that's not really having the it, I impact guess it's the, that you're looking for. The patience for. of knowing that that hits will turn into more of an aggressive style of going to the net and things of that nature. Well, and they had done that. That's what was kind of weird about this. They'd won yeah. seven of eight. Well, that is the interesting thing because although point- there have been many times in past where it's like that's the best time to do it. Yeah. Because you're winning and you can still teach and it's not, maybe it doesn't sting as much as when. Well, maybe they sense, like a coach senses that, okay, well, uh, that was nice. This could all of a sudden turn into an 0 for 4. Yeah. And very quickly, maybe we need to cuff some people in the side of the head and yeah. stop this right where it's at and yeah, we demand, had to- essentially demand more. I, I'll say this with, with Tyler and with, with Jamie. You you always you always work your way out of this. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. I don't care how hard you're working. I remember Brett Hall would be in a slump. And for Brett, a slump was like he hadn't scored in six games right. or something, right? Five games. And it's Brett Hall. Like the guy scored close to 100 goals one year. But he didn't sit back and just go, well, you know, it's going to happen for me. At some point, pucks are going to go in. I, I'll never forget the day he grabbed Rick Wilson. And he brought Rick out before practice with him. And he went through essentially a shooting tree. And all the spots where he is going to get his opportunities from. And Rick passed him pucks and he shot pucks. And Rick passed him pucks and he shot pucks. Lo and behold, all of a sudden, boom, boom, two goals. He's out of it, off and running again. But he went through that to make sure, whether it was mental, physical, uh, muscle memory, whatever it was. It worked. Yeah. And he was not going to take a six-game slide lightly. And he wasn't going to sit and blame Ken Hitchcock or who he's playing with or anything like that. It was just, this is on me. I got to find a way to put the puck past the goaltender and get better at what I get paid to do. Yeah. And and did that. I always had tremendous respect for him. And even watching a guy like Joe Pavelski. Joe Pavelski is the second or third guy on the ice every single day. Yep. Every day. Now... He's working on things that are important to him. And I think it's similar. It's the same muscle memory stuff. Uh, it's not by accident that this stuff happens. Yeah. No, and I, you know, it's interesting on the lack of scoring during this 7 1 and 1 run or whatever it is, that if this team does, you know, if Pavelski and Perry assimilate to the Dallas Stars way of life and so that in game 60 they're a lot better than they were in game 10 uh, and if Sagan and Ben start scoring to what the normal levels are I really do think this can be a pretty oh, good team so do I I mean I really do so do I the goaltending is goal t- it's good it's usually top five you know whether that's you know save percentage or goals against uh, the defense is interesting uh, but when John Klingberg's healthy, you've got a, three good guys there. And when John's healthy and playing well. Right. And well, there, is, there has to be some concern that you're just going to wear out Miro and, and, yeah. and Essa Lindell. 
with minutes. But this has allowed a guy like Jamie Alexiak to blossom a little yep. bit. Um, and I, I still think they, they have a Zuccarello-type trade in them for a defenseman at the trade demo. If they're in contention and the way that their you know, salary cap with a long-term IR could yeah. work, they, they could bring in another defenseman. The, only, the, the biggest concern now at 8-8-2 eight, eight and two is they were supposed to be working on shorthand here in the first 20 games right. this year. And it it doesn't feel like they're working on shorthand. No. And one of the most disturbing things or trends that has continued this year that was happening last year is they never get on the power play. Right. Especially on the road. Like, they're, they're averaging, they're, they're scratching and clawing to average two times on the power play on the road. Yeah. So... To me, that means you're you're not engaged in this thing enough to where you're setting the agenda and getting yourself on the, on the power play more. I don't think they call many penalties in this league anymore, no. anyway. But it it's baffling. To when me you look that they down and there's seven more. minutes left in the first period and the shots on goal are three to one. No, they nobody's, calling it. And nobody's engaged. <laughs> and that's and, but, two in a row. That but that's they, the other thing. That's two in a row of those afternoon games. And I remember I asked Montgomery before the game, I'm like, you know, I said, did you bring up the Buffalo game and all? No, that was a lifetime ago. And I agree with that. The way they were going, you're like, of course you don't bring that up. That was almost like a different team. Right. And yet, like you say, the first 15 minutes looked like the first 15 minutes in Buffalo. Well, and again, if they're on the road, are they... I hate to say this, trying not to lose, trying to play a zero-zero game, and you know, hoping that one of our guys are going to make a big play and we'll win one to nothing or two to one or whatever it is, uh, because it, there are there have been long stretches on the road where they're perfectly content to not shoot the puck as long as the other team's yeah. not shooting the puck. Well, maybe they're tired. <laughs> maybe they need better load management. That's what we're going to talk about after this. Oh, it's so good. Don't you just feel fresh and alive in this room, in this part of the world, with this stuff coming out of a carcinogen cased box and the corner of the room here is that maple flavored? i don't know it's not <laughs> there's no fragrance with it i actually thought the room was on fire when i came in all right hot topic in the nba especially how big is the nba up here by the way too when you turn on the sports channel you got a nba championship I know. team it's like yep. it's freaky for a Canadian, you come up here and you're like, "Really?" And they just Serge Ibaka's doing commercials. <laughs> That's right. Well, they played last night too. I think yeah, Toronto I played the Clippers. So, but anyway, the uh, a warming plate in other sports, a hot topic in the NBA, would be load management. In the Ray household, at the turn of the millennia, is that how you phrase that? I don't know. Load management was also known as the diaper genie. <laughs> That's all I knew about load management. You were taking diapers, loads, in diapers, and you were managing them with the wonderful uh, invention of the diaper genie. Do you know what the diaper genie is all about? We didn't have one. Toast is not. We weren't rich that. enough to have a diaper genie. Rich enough. My God. <laughs> basically, do you remember the diaper genie? Like basically all it was was a canister in the corner of the room very much like our vape machine over yep. here. And 
you you had plastic that was curled almost like the DNA of a human being, mm-hmm. the genome, and you would take <laughs> you would take that human DNA <laughs> and you would you would drop it in there. And then it would it would sort of curl one of those off, and then you stuffed it down, and another one came up. And then where it went when you dumped the diaper genie out, you didn't really care. Yeah, you just knew it's starting to get a little funky in here, and it had a, an odor suppressing element to it. And uh, off it went. I thought it was the greatest invention of my child rearing. Imagine what your parents, your parents may not have. They washed whatever they had on us. Could you imagine that having cloth diapers and washing them? Or you just went au natural and just (laughs) rubbed your bum on the carpet like a dog. (laughs) Just never. Not saying I did that. Never had diapers on. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, we've lost our path here. The NHL, the NHL introduced the bye week, which I think is was yep. a wonderful thing. It took them a few years to get it straightened around. Remember the first couple of years when it was just willy nilly? Yeah, like a team would be four games into the season. Yep. Oh, we get our bye now. That's ridiculous. Right. Didn't help. So they've they've stacked them around the All Star break so that teams get either on the way in or on the way out for the most part. Right. Right. So you get this nice big long break. They also have these mandatory days off, four of them a month. Stars just had one yesterday. Yep. Can't do anything, no matter what you want to do. Uh, I see load management applied mostly to the number one goaltenders. Interesting, yeah. In in hockey. Beyond that, I don't don't see much of it. Do you? I do. Okay. And and so... Well, the the number one goalie thing is is this back-to-back... Right. ...game thing. And I like what the Stars have done this year, actually, and it's it's been fruitful where you... Save your number one. There's not much drop off between no. the two of them anyway, but you save your number one for the second game. And have both of them, no, one was at home and the other one, uh, we were in Pennsylvania. So it was a relatively easy yeah, back to back, Pittsburgh to Philadelphia. And Bish played both of those there. 37% of the season this year will be played back to back. Interesting. Yeah. And that, they just did the numbers on that. But anyway, th- in this world now, of course you can't ask your number one goaltender to play both games. Play two days in a row? Are you kidding me? Oh my God. You have to have a day in between always if you're going to play your number one goaltender. <laughs> Spoken like an old time goalie right there. Go ahead. Tell me what you think. Uh, mine's more forward-oriented. Uh, uh, so I was looking up, and uh, when they first started keeping uh, time on ice in 09, or, uh, 99, 98, 99, Sackick was playing 25. Uh, Yager was playing 25. Pavel Burry was playing 26. I mean, a lot of minutes for forwards. And now you look, and the leading forwards are 21, 22. And uh, Pasternak and um, Marshawn are, like, at 18. And so... You know, what we're seeing with the stars, generally speaking, is they want four lines all going. Uh, You couldn't play four lines back then. No, no, I agree. Because two thirds of your fourth line was in the penalty box or out of the game already. Right. And it is a different strategy. It's the style of game that was being played. Correct. Uh, It's a different strategy. um, But does that then take away the ability of your best players, your $9 million players, to affect the game if they're not out there for 22, 23, 24 minutes? I agree. I mean, I think that's important. If you're going to be paying these guys, then the other thing is the flow of the game. You talk to players. and So you're talking about load micromanaging. Well, I just... 
I would like to see the best players on the ice more. I just think that's I think the way. I think everybody would. Yeah, I, did. I mean. But that that is the argument that goes on with this load management at its core. Right. Is that people pay to see certain players, and then it's a load management game, and they're not playing at all. Yeah, and that's the NBA. That's a totes issue. So what, Mr. Millennial. Yes. Do you feel about this issue in the NBA is is it an issue with you guys or is it not or do you understand okay so it definitely is an issue to the point that they have legislated that a team will be fined if they sit a star for a game so now uh, Popovich and Kawhi Leonard these guys are having to list fake injuries and rehab and maintenance upper or bo- or yeah, lower body really? to sit these guys for a back to back and it's the superstars who are sitting out but this shift in the NBA is actually created by my generation of fans the whole emphasis in the past four years is just championships and titles we don't care about the regular season as long as you're in a playoff position you're producing highlights we're looking at numbers uh, triple doubles stuff like that get in the playoffs all we care about is rings and so load management's not an issue when you look at the entire season as a whole if you're wanting your team to win because as the Spurs and Kawhi Leonard have shown it it works out for the benefit of your team down the stretch okay well I'm gonna I'm gonna rebut this Uh, my concern with the NBA especially with this argument it smacks of a shift from playing in a league being a privilege to playing in the league being a flat-out right, which we have always railed against in our sport. And more importantly, paying public being viewed as merely a transaction and not a partner. Interesting. You're damn straight it's interesting, (laughs) Totsi. These are good points. I like this. I thought I made a good point. Oh, yeah. You did, did, but that's the problem with your entire generation. Oh, wow. Is you only want the, all you want is the payoff. That's right. You don't want any of the hard work that goes and leads up to it or the story that goes along with it. Exactly. You just want it now. You're, You're like, I could care less. I want a championship. How many teams win the NBA championship every year? Is it five or six? And it's just one. It's just the one. Okay. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to get that straight. All right. I got one more aside for you, and this is what's confusing to me. <clears throat> the defenseman in the league right now? 25, 26, 27 minutes. So all this load management for the forwards, Duncan Keith is playing 25 minutes. Drew Doughty's playing 25 minutes. Eric Carlson on his bad legs is playing 25 minutes. So why are we not worried about their load management? Because there's just not enough good ones? I mean, it's interesting that the theory is keep the energy high, keep this, be ready for the playoffs. Yet right now, we're just riding defensemen. Like well, some of it has to be the horses. And this... This was where some of what totes will be just titillated with coming forward. The uh, chips on players and yeah. seeing how much ice they cover, how many miles they skate, and the difference between a 26-minute defenseman and a 21-minute center iceman. And then you'll, you, you'll, it's a have good point. It, you'll have it pretty clear then. Yeah. But the, your eyeballs tell you now that forwards just do so much more skating and work and it's you're expected to go at Mach three every time you, you step on the ice. Yeah. Whereas with defensemen, you watch him like even, but for a guy like Essa Lindell to be able to play 28 minutes in thin air in Denver and then 30 minutes in regulation the next day, 
you have to understand how to be economic with your energy. Right. And he has a little bit, but it's also just how the game, I think a lot of how the game is is played right now that they're able to do that at that position. Whereas at forward, I guess, I guess they can't. Well, and again, cause, cause you got to remember like forwards. Now you're, you, you need to four check hard and then you need to race and track back. If you go back to when, uh, like in the eighties and guys, you know, center iceman, your top center iceman would play 28 minutes. Right. Well, once they lost the puck, they just waited for their teammates to get the puck again to give it back to them. Well, and and I agree, it's a different style of hockey, but I do also think that they're and they're in better shape and all that. There are players who can take fifty second, sixty second shifts because they're smart enough to know when the opportunity might come. Yeah, and so you know we've talked Remember a lot. Remember Mike Ribeiro back? Oh in my the God, day? it was. He said he was better at the end of his shift because some guys are. Yeah, because he 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 had had his chance to kind of look around and know where everybody was, yeah. and I mean it may. Well, sense. He, there, he scored two, points. I know, and there are two things involved in that. One is that the individual that you just said and how they view things. The other is if if you extend just a little bit as one of the top players, especially when you're on the road, right? And the other team is matching up against you. Well, if they're changing, that matchup changes, and you get even if it's half a shift, you get twenty seconds against a line that maybe you have the upper hand on or an individual that you can get the better of, then there's an advantage gain there. Yeah. Where I'm with you. I, I think a lot of coach, I think it's micromanaged now. Yeah. I really do. I think they, I think they overthink it. I think it's analytical to the nth degree and pummeled. And, and it's, it smacks a little bit of socialism. Right. It's socialism. You hate that, don't you? No, you're in Canada. You like it up here. Well, it's it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's a hard thing. Uh, it's not the, a hard cap socialism. <laughs> the the play the other game, and I know I'm just picking out one play as an anecdotal, so that you know it supports my cause. But Jason Dickinson is at the end of a shift, thinking about changing, but then says, "You know what? I think I got a chance to do something here." He goes in, he, you know, wins a four-check, steals a puck, feeds it to Matthias Janmark, who's coming right off the bench, and it's a huge play in a game that did not have a whole lot of offense in it. And I just think that you need to be able to trust your smart players to make smart decisions. And so then when you put a 40-second cap on every shift, or at least a goal to do that for a game... I don't know. I it's just, it's not the way I watched hockey growing up. I mean, you just trusted that the good players are going to be out there more, and and the good players knew how to make good decisions. Um, and now the coaches are like, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna have all the players do this. I'll take sapience over skating up and down a million miles an hour. Yeah, me too. I always will. One more thing on load management. Back to a little bit of what Totsi was referring to, but not really. More just a <laughs> my own personal. Feelings, I think his brilliant point. I don't. I wouldn't call it that. But the the idea that the the patron or the fan buys a ticket with the understanding they're going to see their guy, and that's a load management game for that guy. It's always on the road, right? Like they never do this at home because it's your your fans at home. But you do have fans away from home too, and around whatever league it is. I'll never forget when I was a kid, and this wasn't really a load management thing as much as it was just we only had one game a week on television on Hockey Night in Canada Montreal Canadiens were my team Ken Dryden was my idol and that game would come on on Saturday and unfortunately the Kansas City 
uh, scouts would be in town or whoever it was, some expansion club, and Bunny LaRock would start in goal for Montreal. And I'm telling you, I would not watch the game. <laughs> I would just go outside and, and play goal in the driveway with my buddies. I'm like, if Dryden's not playing, I'm not watching. Yeah. I, I got screwed. Hockey Night in Canada screwed me over today by not starting Ken Dryden on a Saturday. Dale Hansen used to do the countdown to Michael Jordan's one appearance of the year in Dallas. And it was really kind of fun. And I mean, it was a big deal. Michael Jordan comes to town for one game. You darn well better watch it. Might be a load management game now. Now it might Michael be. never missed a game back then. <laughs> men were men back then, don't see. Uh, speaking of Canadiana and Hockey Night in Canada, we'll, get, we'll work our way down to that. Maybe finish on grapes. Uh, but we're on this Western Canadian swing. And I want to hear all about our boy Totsie's trip to the lovely locale of Banff. Let's just take a moment. Let's listen to a little of the the wild of the West prior to his recanting of his trip to Banff. Okay, I can't think of a more idealistic. Oh, I'll spit that out, Daryl. Uh, place on planet Earth during the holidays than Banff and that hotel. Did you go to the hotel, the Fairmont on Lake yes. Louise? I did. Yeah. I mean, when they get it all decked out, though, was it decked no, out? No, no Christmas decor. No, yet. You get into December and it's all decked out. Man, you feel like. You feel like Santa's. It's the North Pole. Probably, probably in the next room. He's. It's a suite because he's Santa, <laughs> but he's staying at the hotel and the reindeer are down at the barn, and you are just in winter wonderland. Same temperature as the North Pole too. Oh, bam! So cold. Okay, how cold was it? It was we, so cold. You yes. sent a picture, which was I enjoyed way <laughs> too much. Yesterday was the coldest I've ever been in my life. Okay. And it, it topped the night before that now when did we landed you, here. Did you prepare yourself for this when you packed for this road trip and you were planning to go to Banff? No, I didn't. I packed standard road trip, um, maybe an extra layer, but no, you, nothing could have prepared me for this. Did you go like dress shoes, no socks type thing? No, I, I went hiking boots. I was prepared in that regards. <laughs> Did you layer like a good Canadian would? I did, but... How you, many layers did you have on? I had three layers. Oh, that's not bad. But you need like a Mount Everest, like oxygen tank and oh, face mask. Oh, my God. Like ski no, poles. No, you don't. Was, oh, it was brutal. You weren't in the kill zone when you were no. going on a trail. <laughs> no layers could have prepared me for this. It was, it was chilly, but... Um, yeah, unbelievable. Two-hour drive from here in Calgary to Lake Louise. The drive is gorgeous. Uh, my one observation about Canadians, main takeaway from yesterday, people here really obey the speed limit. Oh, duh. Did you I, just figure that out yeah, now? I've never driven here. So I go walking around yesterday never. downtown. Like, there's nobody around. It's Remembrance Day here. So it's, it's pretty quiet in downtown Calgary. And it jars me every time I come back here. I'm from Canada. And I'll sta you'll stand on the corner. There's not a car within 15 blocks of us. And if the, somebody's next to you, they will stand there yeah, and, and wait. wait for that walk signal to change. Yeah. They will not go across that road. 
I noticed that. It wouldn't matter if, if uh, somebody was like urinating on your leg and it was pouring rain. <laughs> they would stand there and wait for that thing to change and then go across the street. Exactly. Nobody jaywalks in Canada. And the drive. And the speed limit is the speed limit. It's absurd. It, so it's the first time I've driven in Canada yesterday. You I follow the rules car, here, damn it. And it's a, a two hour drive. And I just imagine if you're doing a two hour drive from Dallas heading west how, on an how, open how, highway. How long would it take you to get to. You could have done that in, in Texas in 90 minutes flat. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a crowded highway, it's wide See, but open. Again, this goes back to your statement about. Load management. It sometimes it's the journey. That's a good you, point. You, I know you wanted to get up there and and freeze your keister off. Yeah, but it's the journey. Sometimes, sometimes you have to look around a little bit. It's not all about the championship. Uh, that's true. The hundred kilometers an hour maximum. I had plenty of time to look did around, you, and the views were great. Did it catch you at some point where you're like, oh, I can go hundred now, and then you killed it? It did. I was flying past people, and then it was like, Ooh, oh, I guess we're all we're all back obeying these signs. A Mountie pulls you over. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was it was a phenomenal, from phenomenal views out there. Amazing. You get good picks. Actually, one thing that was cool is it was so cold. I barely wanted to take off my gloves oh and snap my. photos. I got a couple. Oh my god! But I was just soaking it in because I was it, frigid. Cold. It was cold. Like what? I'm from Texas. This I know. Brutal. Mike. He's from Texas. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> But but a couple good photos. You're, you got to remember your your blood's a little, a little thinner. Yep, and uh, you're just not built to to take that. It's true. But the views in you're not Inuit. No, not at all. You don't have a thick layer. Clearly. The uh, the views in Banff were worth it. It was unbelievable. yeah. You sent better than anything. You sent a picture or two, and I know there's a million pictures of Banff. But when you see it from somebody's phone and there are footprints in the snow, and you're like, yeah, you experienced Western Canada. Yeah, that was my one takeaway. Any wildlife. I saw no. I saw no wildlife. They, they hibernate. Bears I really wanted to see a bear, but nothing. A couple of falcons. They hibernate. It's winter time. They fatten up. Then they go into a den, and then they come out in the spring. Here's what I add. Uh, did you ever see the Walter Mitty movie? Oh yeah, that's so, yeah. yeah, where Sean Penn is a photographer, and he won't take a picture because he feels like it's robbing something from the animal he's getting, and he goes, "It's up here in my head. The picture's in my head. That's totes. He's carrying it with him." Well. You had that to see doesn't the sound movie. very smart for a guy who's a videographer. <laughs> it's just, it's in his head. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's special. Only he gets to see the picture. You know, I'm actually a billionaire, but mm -hmm. I like to keep that in my head. Uh, let's, let's finish this thing up here. First off, before we get on and finish up on Don Cherry, the, uh, do you think this resonates the way it used to these swings through Western Canada. We don't have very many Western Canadian boys on this squad. No. Do we have three? No. So Como, Ben, and... Taylor Fadoon? Taylor Fadoon, yeah, Edmonton. Yeah, it's it's a different... It's built a different way. Um, We've had so much success coming through here. Oh, yeah. Through the years. The guys would get up here and just go nuts. It was... But then there was a rivalry with Edmonton. There, there was history with Vancouver. There was also, you didn't see a whole lot of the games. I don't think there was many games on TV back then. So it was special to see, be in the arena, to see the colors, to, at least for me it was. Hmm. Like it was, it was a more rare opportunity to be up here. Whereas now you go home and watch every single game on yeah, television. You so might be right. You feel like you're out here. But it, it's a, it is a wonderful place. It is. Don't you talk bad about Western Canada. <laughs> Dang you. 
Uh, one guy who's not going to be talking about Canada on television at all or Canadians or immigrants or anything is Don Cherry. Uh, th- this may not play as well down south. I mean, th- this is the story across this nation. Uh, Poppy's finally what popped him, apparently. Iconic Hockey Night in Canada uh, broadcaster, Canadian. They- they've run, I mean, it- it's just been one gas bag after another spouting off about how long uh, th- this this was coming and that it should have been done before and it- it's kind of piling on. It's a sad end. He stayed too long. It, it happens. Yeah, the world changed. And, uh, and he never evolved. I think that that was the, the most uh, prominent uh, take on this whole thing was the fact that he... He never changed. Yeah. And and part of that was the that was kind of the the gig with Don Cherry. Yeah. You're gonna get old school straight talk and but the Canadians were changing and and Twitter and social media can get anyone. Well, and not him. just that. It's, it's funny is that you know, he even, I think these, I don't know if he's actually been quoted live, but people have, you know, said he said this, this, but he said he couldn't come back and be himself. He wouldn't, I can't go there and soft pedal my stuff or apologize for things I say. Yeah. That's not who I am. I wished he would have. I, because he could have. He could, he definitely could have. Yeah. Uh, but he just said, look, that's not and me. It, and he would have been, uh, he would have garnered, a whole new generation of people that that loved him if he did but he stayed crusty and really old school yeah. i mean really old school and this you know, was a time when canada was against the world like you you wanted to beat sweden you wanted to beat finland you wanted to beat russia yeah. and so then those guys were the enemy and so even though they're playing in your national hockey league a finnish player is a little bit different than a canadian player but, and when he started they were like when you right. watched any world tournament it, the Canadians were so different than the Americans, than the Swedes, than the Russians, than the Czechs, than the Finns. Like, it was just a completely different brand of hockey. Right. You watch an international tournament now, and other than the colors they're, they're wearing, you don't know, you can't tell a difference between Canada, U.S., Sweden, Czechs, Latvia, Switzerland. It They all play the same way. Right. Uh, and But he stayed back in... The old times and the old takes, and it finally got him. I, I think it's there were two things for me. One was a lot of these guys never know when to say yeah. I'm done and move on. Somebody has to actually shove them. And I really thought the uh, the uh, brass or the the powers that be at both Hockey Night in Canada, CBC, Sportsnet should have told him you're done. At some point. Right. Should, should, no, he brought in a lot of money. Yeah. But still, should have had the hard conversation and been like, that. that's enough. And still found some kind of a role uh, for him in that in some way, but that never happened. So basically, everyone was waiting around for this to happen. Yeah. They, it was going to happen. Well, even even the past couple of years, he got really close, I think, in a couple of topics. Oh, my God. <laughs> a couple. <laughs> But that was the thing. I mean, he he became the offensive uncle that you you tolerated, but you didn't have to see him all the time. Right. But you 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 know you put up with it, and you're like, man, that's not the way the world is now. It reminded me so much of like you and I remember this. He doesn't, but Archie Bunker, mm-hmm. like he was Archie Bunker, right? 
And yet the he, he Archie Bunker and and all in the family went off the air. This just kept going. Yeah. Every Saturday night, first intermission. Now, if you go back to 80s grapes, it was awesome. Like, it really was. Well, and so much of his was so much fighting. And, and again, a Canadian way of playing hockey at times. Oh, it was hitting hard. Right. It was it was men being men. Like, all that stuff that just does not really resonate no. very well nowadays. No. And, and he's stuck to his guns yep. and went down with something that he was passionate about that you just, even if, you know, he was cumbersome in how he said it, you just don't, it, no, yeah. don't, you can't, don't. Ugh. You people is never a good way to start a sentence. No, that gets you in a lot of trouble. Uh, David Staples, I thought had the best take though on this whole thing. Uh, he, he said that two things can be true at the same time. First, Don Cherry made an ignorant and reactionary comment. And there's no question. Now, he's made plenty of those, right. but now you, you just know. But the second point was we are going through an aggressively self-righteous and sanctimonious time. Yeah. And they come after you. Yep. You slip up. Now, it's not like this was the first time he'd ever no. done this. So everyone, this was building. And then once this came out, and the way he phrased it and what he said and the pitchforks just were vicious. Yeah. And down he went. And it's allowed everybody to spout off about him. I mean, there was a thing, the, the two things that resonate with, with him uh, to me that I, I heard this morning on television here and there have been long segments on it. One, he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Interesting. Not, he ruffles some feathers. And he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I doubt he'll ever get in yeah, now, now after this. Yeah. And the other is they did a, uh, I think it was in 2004, they did a uh, Greatest Canadians. It might have been 150 or 100 Greatest Canadians. And Wayne Gretzky came in at 10. Don Cherry was at 7. At 7. It's the power of that little box you're on, Daryl. And the, everyone to a man admits that there has never been a more powerful, uh, iconic, bigger presence in sports in this country than yeah. Don Cherry. It's like when I was a kid, you'd wait for Howard Cosell mm -hmm. on Monday Night Football, and he was... How he, did it end for Howard? I don't even remember, but it wasn't good, I don't think, was no, it? No, wasn't it Statements? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jimmy the Greek. Yep. It was Statements. It, it, it again. I, I all I can see is is that Clint Eastwood movie with him with his gun on the lawn. He had a Korean family move in next to him. Gran Torino. Yes, and you're just like what his his nostalgia, and it just it's different time, and he he never evolved. Yeah, and they let him stay on there until. That's you can stay too long. I think that's the lesson in this. Well, don't it's funny. I mean, I, I mean, I don't stay too long. I helped take care of my uh, father-in-law and my parents and everything like that, and they were the same way. They didn't, they didn't want, and they didn't want to change, and they didn't understand why they had to change. But you got to change. When's this going to hit for totes? <laughs> Fifty years from now, I think he's fine. Fifty years from now, totesy, he's he's got a good compass. He'll be fine. Hey. 60 years from now, maybe? 85. 60, yeah, let's say 60 years from now. 
So the year will be 2080. <laughs> Just think, 2080. Are you going to have the same takes on the world and your life? He's going to be uh, wearing his LeBron the third jersey <laughs> <laughs> and talking about talking about how I'm into load management because all I'm into are championships. That's right. All right. Uh, championship edition of Rinky Dinking. And we can't stay forever. I think that's the lesson we've learned here this week. Vape as we do. We're out of, I, I think we're out of water in the corner. It stopped vaping. We're out of topics on Rinky Dinking. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, boys. Go Western Canada. Sundown in the Paris of the Prairie. We kings of all treasures buried. And all you hear are the rusty breezes pushing around the weather vane, Jesus.